0: Morning. Morning Morning, all of you in the room, all of you online as well for this gorgeous August morning. Great to be back. I was on a trip. I'll tell you a little bit about it maybe today and in the near future, but it's great to be with you here this morning. We are in this series in the book of Joseph. Josh did a great job last Sunday if you were here looking at Genesis chapter 39 when Joseph finds himself in some trouble and ends up in prison. Uh, the character of Joseph that we've been looking at, and we'll find out he's going to be in that prison. doesn't say exactly, but if you do the math, uh, a long time. A lot of his life is spent in prison. But here in Genesis chapter 41, you have a copy of the Bible, that's where we're going to look this morning, is a major turning point in the life of Joseph and in the story that is being told through his life. In Genesis 31, 30, at the end of chapter, Genesis chapter 40, Josh finished in 39, really nothing new has happened in Joseph's life on the positive, even from when we first meet him. You meet him in Genesis 37. He's this young kid by the end of Genesis 37 through his brothers and through this dream that seems very big and very powerful and very focused on his own leadership. It, it, his brothers respond in a negative way. They sell him off as a slave. He sold as a slave. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter uh, 40, he ends up in prison, okay? One chapter, he's in prison for this event. And even as you go into the beginning of chapter 41, he's still in prison. And about 13 years have taken place. But by the end of Genesis chapter 40, okay, it's only three chapters, but a lot of years, really nothing um, positive has happened in Joseph. There's not been really much change at all. In these thirteen years, but at the end of these thirteen years, um, Joseph rises. It almost seems we'll see this in a second, like it happens overnight or in a moment. Right? It's not a gradual rise, but Joseph rises from someone who is a foreigner in a foreign country as a a political prisoner of a kind. If you know the story, we talked some about it. To The second in command in all of Egypt, which was the primary empire of his day, okay? Only now, in this moment we're going to read about it, is the through the mysterious power of God, does the dream... To rule, which was originally seen in Genesis 37, right? My sheaf rose above the others. We we don't know what it means, but we know it has something to do with authority, something to do with power, something to do with, let's say, ruling over others. Only now, 13 years later, does the dream to rule, is it given significance? I want to take a look at these verses, not all of them. Genesis chapter 41, and a message titled... The rise, Genesis 41, some selected verses beginning in verse 1, follow along as I read. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, great river in Egypt, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows, that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And no one can interpret it. But I have heard that it is said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Where did he hear that? We didn't read it. Genesis chapter forty. Joseph was in prison. Some of you know this story. And while he's there, elevating and, and, and rising, even in prison under the warden's uh, leadership, Joseph hears the dreams of in, in the king's prison of two of the king's servants the butcher and the baker, he hears their dream and he interprets their dreams and those dreams come true exactly as he said, but of course they forgot all about Joseph, right? So one of them was, ended up being killed, one of them ended up rising back to his place of leadership in Pharaoh's uh, uh, empire, but they, never, they forgot about Joseph. The last words I think of Genesis 40, Joseph said, don't forget me. Well, they did forget him. But now, in this moment, he's remembered. And Pharaoh says, listen, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. God will give answer, give Pharaoh the answer he desires." Let me say something quick about when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream the two full years are not talking about two years since Joseph left Egypt. They're not talking about two years since Joseph um, went into prison. They're talking about two years since Joseph had interpreted the dreams of these two men that that are chronicled in Genesis chapter 40. Why is that important? Because what you, what you learn, if you, if you read carefully these chapters, is that by the time Joseph has his rise out of the dungeon, is the words used in Genesis chapter 41, he has been in prison about 10 years. Okay, think about that. He gets this great dream. Think about your life, my life. Right? We're just singing about it, right? You know, God gives him this dream that's pretty unbelievable and pretty, you know, pretty uncontestable. Even his brothers and his fathers, although they don't like it, they acknowledge, because in this culture, just like Jacob got a dream, right? And Isaac got a dream. They understood this was how God communicated in this culture. There was no Bible back then. Clearly, Joseph had gotten something from God. That's pretty significant, pretty important. And if I'm this 17-year-old kid... I'm the grandson of Abraham. I'm thinking, this is my moment. This is a beautiful moment. I mean, you know, the the paparazzi are there. It's it's really an amazing moment. And Joseph knows it if you read chapter 37, right? But for the next 13 years, it's one negative thing after another. In about 10 of those years, 10 of those years, think about this, Joseph is in prison, okay? Okay? First point of this message. God calls you up when you're ready, okay? God calls you up in whatever He wants to do in your life. Listen, when you're ready, right? When you're ready. Only here in this moment, okay? Think about where we are if you know this story. Only here, after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, after he finds himself in the audience with Pharaoh, only here does he understand at least some sense of the true meaning of his dream. All he knew in Genesis 37, maybe what you knew and what you knew when God gave you a word or someone shared something with you, something was birthed in you, maybe the Holy Spirit's nudging you. You know, We we don't get this full vision of our lives. But what all Joseph knew in Genesis 37 was gonna be a leader. But this dream of his sheaf, That was what it said. My sheaf rose up, sheaf of grain, and it was taller than all the rest of yours. He knew that that meant he had God's authority. He was God's chosen, let's say, man in this family. But what did that possibly mean other than authority? Joseph had no idea. The family of Jacob, they were not farmers. They were shepherds. But see, now he understands, 13 years later, when he has a dream about a famine And he realizes it's not just for Canaan, the promised land. It's for the whole known world. And Joseph realizes he's talking to the most powerful man in the world. Now he understands the dream had something to do with the amelioration of a famine that was going to cover the whole world. Only here does he understand the meaning of the dream. Listen, only here does he understand the journey he's been on. I don't care how uh, um, admirable Joseph is as a person, I have to believe if he spent 10 years in prison, there was a time or two he asked himself, what in God's name am I doing here? What does this have to do with my dream? I didn't deserve this. I'm, I'm in prison unjustly. I never. I left Je- um, Egypt unjustly. I didn't deserve my brother's ire. I didn't deserve to be sold as a slave. I was a good, faithful employee to Potiphar. I never went after his wife. One negative thing after another. And now I'm in prison for maybe up to 10 years, okay? But Joseph here understands, one, the nature of the dream. It's about famine relief. Number two, he understands more of the journey he's been on. Listen, God's dream for your life, or for his life, but mine and yours too, is far bigger than he ever imagined, right? I doubt when Joseph had this dream that he thought his leadership was going to extend anything beyond his family, which was a big deal, the family of Abraham. I'm going to be the most important guy in the promised land. I'm confident in all of his pride and his, his sense of, of, of purpose, that Joseph didn't think he was going to be transplanted to the empire of Egypt. And this leadership was not about his family. It was about something much larger than his family. Okay, He understood the dream was much bigger. God's dream for his life was far bigger than he imagined. But to achieve it, here's the point, he needed to grow up in ways he could have never seen and he would have never signed up for. See, this is why some of us don't say yes, right? Or we quit in the middle of the first quarter of our lives, in the middle of the second quarter of our marriage. We quit because we don't understand that that calling, that purpose that God has for you, he has to grow you up to be able to accomplish it. God doesn't just rain down the money, the gifts, the talents, the wisdom. You have to, it has to be developed in you, right? Has to be developed in you. This was a season of development for Joseph. He needed to grow up in ways he could have never imagined or signed up for. Listen to the color commentary from the psalmist. It's one of these long psalms. Just reading a couple of verses. The 105th psalm. This psalmist is writing this long psalm about the history of Israel. And just in a few verses, he mentions Joseph. Listen carefully. 105th verse, 16th verse of the 105th psalm. He called down famine on the land. Who's he? God and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he, who God, sent a man before them, Joseph sold as a slave. Let's stop there. This verse, if you, whether or not you needed it, you might not have needed it, tells you this. Joseph was sold as a slave for something he had never done because God designed that he would be. Does that help put some things in context in your life? Well, this happened because of my brother-in-law. This happened because of the economy. This happened because this, that, and the other thing. We're very good at pointing fingers at things that we think are the cause of our discontent. The Lord called down famine on Egypt, and the Lord sent Joseph as a slave. We need to stop complaining about our situations and look to God for what the lesson, what is God trying to prepare? Follow on. They bruised his feet, verse 18, with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Now what's interesting about that verse to me is neither of those are mentioned in the book of Genesis. Somehow the psalmist had a few little details that were not, in other words, Joseph was not in, you know, a federal prison where they play volleyball and, you know, and they have pancakes, okay? That's not where he was. They bruised his feet. Listen to this: his neck was put in irons. Think about that. Can you imagine? You're not only in prison; your 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 feet are, are have shackles on your ankles. Your neck is in iron, like you're an animal. And in this case, you didn't do anything wrong. In fact, all you did was the right stuff. You said yes. You said yes. And you took your lumps and you, and you were a faithful servant to Pharaoh in every way. I'm sure, excuse me, Potiphar. And even when his gorgeous wife begged you to, to sleep with her, you said, I would never do that. Ever, ever, ever. Your husband's been, has, has been wonderful to me. I would never do such a thing. And he ends up in prison with a neckar. Now, watch verse 19. Until. What he foretold, I'm assuming that's God and or the dream, which came from God, came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true. I'll just sink on this verse, okay? Think about your life. God sent the famine. God sent Joseph as a slave. You might even say God put the irons around his neck and the shackles on his feet. Why? To punish him? Oh no, there's nothing in the story of Joseph that deserves punishment. It was for his development, it was for his maturity, it was for the building of wisdom until what he foretold came to pass until the word of the Lord proved him true. What God's trying to do in your life, what God's trying to do in my life, God will call you up when you're ready. In the meantime, he's trying to prove you true. He's trying to take the word of God and move it from your head right into your heart, into your behaviors, into your will to transform you into a person to accomplish the things that God wants you to accomplish, whatever that might be. God will call you up when he's ready. Joseph's time in prison, think about this the injustice that got him there, his brother's evil, selfish behavior, they were all part of his needed education. Right? God works the same way with you and me today. Listen, if you're a Christian in this room listening to me today, this is what this passage tells us, certainly suggests this to us, that God is working out his purposes in your life in your career disappointments, in your relationship challenges, listen, in your own personal failures, even in your sin struggles. God is working out his purposes. But... You think, what does that mean? How do I? What do I make sense of that? What do I do when I feel even unjustly um, treated in my job? When I feel uh, my marriage is going the wrong way and it's not my fault, or you know whatever the case may be, right? What do we? What do we make of that? Let me say what you shouldn't make of it. God is not holding back on you. In your disappointments. Joseph could have thought that God is not dragging his feet. God is certainly not making you pay for your sins, right? If you think God punishes you for something that you do wrong, you completely do not understand this book, right? You don't understand it. You don't understand the gospel that's at the heart of it. God does not punish you for your sins at all. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ was about, okay? He's not dragging his feet He's not holding back on you. He's not punishing you for your sins. He has you in that job, in that imperfect marriage. Listen, in this imperfect church to help you grow up. So when he calls you up, you're ready, okay? When he calls you. Is there a magic to the number 13? I don't think so. Everybody's different. But for Joseph... He was, by the way, Joseph wasn't just in prison um, taking his knocks. If you read chapter 40, which we didn't, he was, right, he was learning what it meant to be a leader. He was learning what it meant to trust God in difficult times. Same thing he did in Potiphar's house, right? God can use anything. Can God use my crappy job to teach me to be a better Christian, a better person? Absolutely he can. In fact, probably your crappy job better than the great job that you or I have. Can God use a very difficult... It's a, a marriage or, or raising children that have troubles or, or, or loneliness or whatever. Can God use these difficult situations to actually birth maturity? me? Absolutely, he can. And if, if you and I keep resisting that and wondering when God's gonna show up, we're missing our own growth. God's saying, listen, focus what I have before you. Don't focus on the neck iron. Don't focus on the leg iron. Don't focus on the, how bad the food is here. Open your eyes and be faithful. I'll call you up when you're ready. Second thing. I'll call you up when you're ready. When the time comes, you must take bold action. When the time comes, you must take bold action. Listen carefully. Joseph is finally remembered. This is what brings about chapter 41. By his former cellmate, right? The guy who was elevated, got his job back, as someone who had a special gift. Oh, Pharaoh, I forgot. I used to be in cell numbers such and such with this Hebrew, this Jewish guy who, who uh, looked different than us and talked different than us, but he had a lot of special uh, qualities about him, and one of them was he could interpret dreams. Should we ask him, since all the magicians have failed? Yeah, Joseph gets an audience with the most important man in the world, right at the appropriate time when it was needed. Yet what he does, watch this very carefully. This is my point. When the time comes, you must be willing to take bold action. Joseph actually doesn't do what Pharaoh asks. He does more than Pharaoh asks. All Pharaoh asks is, listen, interpret my dream. Read the x-ray. You're a specialist in reading x-rays, I don't know. I want to know what my problem is. Does this dream mean good news, bad news? Do I have cancer? Do I have you know, something else? That's all Pharaoh's asking for. See, Joseph does more than that. He takes, when the time comes, Joseph takes reaction. He doesn't just interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He does do that. But watch this. He, goes, he says, here's the interpretation. Now let me tell you what the remedy is. Let me tell you the answer to the problem that the dream reveals, verse 33, Genesis 41. And now, after he's already interpreted the dream, I didn't read that, it's from God, it means there's a famine coming. Seven years of plenty, gonna be good times, are gonna happen. We're gonna have more food we know what to do with. But at the end of seven years, That's what the the lean cows and the the thin grain that eat up the fat cows and, and the thin grain that eats up the rich grain, this means there's gonna be a famine. And when that famine comes, everyone's gonna forget the good times. Everyone's gonna forget all the years of plenty and there's gonna be no food and the whole world's gonna be starving. That's the dream. And now Pharaoh, now he answers a question that's not being asked. Look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, rhetorical question, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than than you, okay? The transcendent purpose of God, I can use that term, you know, transcendent, God's purpose in this famine, must be tied to historical action, right? We are not here, I'm talking about being in church, we are not here, home, I hope you you read and study the Bible every day in your life. We are not here simply to learn about God. That certainly starts there. We are are here to learn about God, to have the life of Christ in us so that we might take bold actions in our lives and live a different quality of life. That's the point. See, that's the point. God will call you when you're ready and then when he calls you, he wants you to take bold action. What Joseph needed in this moment more than he needed skill. He'd never been a, a viceroy of Egypt. He'd never run a world food program. But what Joseph needed more than skill and even than imagination, there's a lot of imagination that came out in this thing, right? He's got, think, what am I going to do? Well, Pharaoh, we need to do this. We need to, we need to look. We need to build storehouses. We need to collect grain. I don't even, can grain last that long? I mean, he needs some skill. He needs some imagination. But more than that, he needed courage. See? when God calls, God will call you up when you're ready. But then when the time comes, okay, you got to take bold action. You can't sit on your hands, right? It's not just about learning. It's about doing. It's about becoming what God wants us to do. How does that happen? This is how I think it happens reading this passage. A deep confidence in God birthed a deep confidence in Joseph that moved him to bold action. That's why you have to be, if you want to call it, in prison Seasons in your life, because you got to take these great truths: God is love, God is power, He will never leave me or forsake me. You got to take these truths, and you got to you got to burn them down into your heart, right? You have to, you have to. They have to find a way, right? And the only way they find their way is that through challenges, through difficulties, where you learn to trust God at deeper and deeper levels. Okay, that's what had to happen. And as Joseph grew a deeper confidence in God. That grew a deeper confidence in himself, and I mean that in the best of the ways, so that when the time came, he could take action, okay? I mentioned to you last two Sundays ago, I was taking this trip to Kosovo. Won't go over all that story again, but I, I did say to you it was a major turning point in my life, 20 years ago, major turning point in my life. And perhaps like Joseph, as I was thinking about it this week, my going back there, was kind of my time to go back kind of to my a prison time, right? And now, when I say prison time, I don't want to think Kosovo was a prison time, but it was a very difficult environment, a very difficult situation of which I had to learn some very hard things. It was not only one of the hardest things I've ever done, it was by far, up to that point in my life, the hardest thing I ever led I wasn't just there as a spectator. I wasn't there to take notes as a journalist. I was there leading a program, did include food and stoves and houses. It was a program. And there was all kinds of conflicts and all kinds of um, you know, um, troubles it, with the people we were working with and even in our own lives and, and, and a, lo- a lot of you know, um, you know, uh, just bad behaviors and unclear things about money. It was a very difficult time. But it was a time of tremendous learning for me. The hardest thing I've ever done, the hardest thing I've ever led. But I'm confident. I didn't know this when I left there 20 years ago. Um, Anything of significance that I've done since then came out of that learning experience. For almost four years to the day, when I left that great experience, I was on a candidating visit for Browncroft Community Church. And I can remember those days. You know, it was fun. It was like a long weekend, and I spoke on Sunday and this and that. And I probably had many conversations. You could probably come up to me and say, we had this great conversation. I I don't even remember it, okay? Many conversations that I didn't remember because I didn't know anybody. But there's one conversation I will never forget, okay? That was 16 years ago. I will never forget I think I'll, I'll remember this till the day I die, And it was a conversation because of the impact this conversation had on my life, and on that decision. And I was with an elder who was kind of one of the key elders, sort of leading the process. You know, the church ultimately had the vote, but he was leading the process. He had me over dinner for his house. Maybe some of you were there. A couple, maybe ten people there, five couples or whoever. And we had this nice time just talking about shop and church. And and then he said, um, after he said, "Can I just take a few minutes with you alone?" Okay, and we went. To uh, Tony Savine, if you know the name Tony Savine, we went into his sort of private study, right? And we sat down. And in so many words, he said to me, okay, so many words, Rob, I like you, you're a nice guy. Um, if you, this job is yours for the taking if you want it. He's not offering me the job, but basically, the job I think is yours uh, for the taking if you want. It. There's only one question that I have, there's only one question that we as an elder board have what do you have the courage to take it that's the question that's all we want to know do you have the courage to take it now I don't remember what I said to him in that moment but I know when I left that day everything else that I thought was important do I want to move from Texas is this package enough you know Do the people like me? Everyone asks that when you get a job at church. You know, do they like you? My vote actually wasn't that high, but there was enough to get me here. But the point is, do they like me? That's a big question when you're in a candidating thing. All of those seemingly important questions I understood leaving that house were false justifications for saying yes or no. There really only was one question. Do you have the courage to do this? Because here's the truth. Maybe this is true in your life, and this is certainly true of everyone that gets married, Right? What do you know about marriage before you get married? Kathy, what do you know about marriage before you get married? Right? Nothing, right? You, know, you just dive in, right? I mean, nobody knows anything unless you've been married before. But if you haven't, you still don't know. <laughs> I heard that. But listen, that's true in many things in life. When I came here, uh, however many years ago that was, you all this is no secret, I was never a senior pastor. I was a pastor but not a senior pastor. So let me tell you something, even if I was a pastor at a great church and it was strong and big and it was, I'd never, the difference between a senior pastor and the ex-pastor, it's a different deal, okay? So I'd never, I'd never, the number of things that I had never done or experienced were amazing and in that sense, it's not only kind of amazing, they offered me the job, some of you are probably thinking, we didn't vote for you, but, (laughs) but it was kind of also amazing that I took the job. You don't want to take a job you're going to fail at but here's what I had to learn. It wasn't about, back to Joseph, saying to, to say, I have to do things that I've done before. It's not about doing things that i had done before. How could I do things that I've done before if I've never been a senior pastor? It was about learning to trust God at deeper levels in the way that i learned to trust him before. That's the key. That's what it means to be able to take bold action. God will call you up when you're ready. He'll have you in places, they don't have to be prisons, he'll have you in places that are uncomfortable, that are disappointing, that are hard as nails, that seem unjust. But he's doing that not to punish you. Your theology's bad. He's not doing that to make you bide your time and put in, your, take your, put in your, your time. He's doing that to help develop a faith in you because as you get more confidence in God, you're going to get more confidence in yourself. And then when the time comes, you'll be ready to take bold action. And it's not about learning and having done these things before. It's about trusting God. It's like Jesus said to his disciples don't worry about what you're going to say when you're before kings and important people. Just move open your mouth and I'll put the words in there. Do you trust him to do that? Do I trust him to do that? Joseph is making a case, is making a case for himself in this great speech that I just gave, but it's not arrogance as it was in Genesis 37. Right? When he says, Pharaoh, you just need to find a guy who can put this thing together, and here's a good idea, store up the grain for seven years of plenty and use it in the years of challenge. He's not simply, it's not done out of arrogance. I think it's done here, out of a learned conviction that God was with him and that God would give him the wisdom and the people to help him when he came. So here's the question for us, right? Where is God calling you to rise in your life today, right? That's the question. And listen, you might say, well, I got a long way to go. I'm only 17, okay? It's a series of rises. Even Joseph's story, right? Potiphar, Warden. There's at least three rises in this story. But the question is, wherever God wants you to rise ultimately, you're not gonna get there from where you are now you get, them, you get there from where you're going in your next rise. Am I making sense? Right? Joseph would have never gotten to um, the king's prison if he hadn't been a servant of Potiphar. He'd have never gotten to Potiphar, believe it or not, if his crazy brothers hadn't sold him to the Midianites. Even though those didn't feel good until the last one, each one of those was a rise, okay? And God was doing a work. So I have a couple questions for you to end this time, Okay? Just think about this. Some of you feel like, maybe, you're in a prison of a kind. Maybe that's a bad metaphor. But you're in a place that you feel like you don't deserve to be in. You feel like it's very disappointing. You feel like it's hard, okay? You feel like it's hard. My my, my challenge to you is this. God is not judging you. God is not dragging his feet. God is trying to deepen you. And my encouragement is don't focus on the leg iron. Don't focus on the cranky boss. Be faithful because God can do something in you and when he's ready, when he's ready, even from a dungeon or a troubled marriage or a stuckness in your job, God will call you up. Second thing is others of you, I would say, I hope, God is calling you up. There are opportunities before you. Do you see the opportunities before you, and are you ready to rise and go for it? What did I say? You know, when the time comes, you got to take bold action. I, I'm getting ready to. I'm gonna have a sermon prepared for the end of this month. We, I kind of changed my plans. Sort of a, you know, I'm, I'm gonna call it the "Get Back to Church" sermon. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but the point is, right? I mean, uh, uh, what are we doing? Yes, we're going to do, you know, do our X's and Y's with the pandemic. But good night, the world is going crazy. Not just with the pandemic, I'm talking about the, the, the upside down morality, the lost spirituality. The church, what are we doing? Oh my goodness, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, okay? So what is God do? We have an opportunity before us. You know, that Tricia Smith and, and, and Tricia Yoder, uh, God bless them, are saying, listen, in the, in the nice way, right? <laughs> I'm going to be meaner than they are, or not meaner, but harsher than they are. Listen, get in here, people. We got, she, she said a couple weeks ago, we had 80 kids in one of those rooms, and we didn't have enough people to do it because we're all, I don't know, home in our pajamas. I don't know, you aren't. So, I'm, but the point is, okay, we need to get in the game. This is a call to action. I'm not saying be foolish, and uh, that's not what we're saying. Some of us need to have special situations with our parents and grandparents, but the rest of us, let's get in the game, right? Some of you, your call to action, the opportunity, good night, please sign up. We need you in family ministry. I'm looking for, I don't know, who knows what's going to happen, Delta thing, et cetera. Listen, I'm hoping there's an empty seat in this room in September. Let's start a third service, let's get going, right? That we're going to need you. People need, we need, to, we, need to, we need to, God's calling some of us, right? Step up. And it's time to take some action in your life, in your faith, in your witness, even in serving here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for the, this time this morning. We love you. We thank you for your love in our lives. And Lord, I can't even imagine. Um, I don't I just... I can't imagine, I don't want to imagine where my life would be if, you know, so many years ago, you picked me up like a brand from the fire, as it says in Ezekiel, just kind of a broken wheel, and um, you said, um, Rob, if you'll trust me, I'll do things in your life you'll never imagine. Thank you for all that you have done in me and with me, despite all of my flaws and weaknesses, and I thank you, God, for your love for this church, and Lord, we come to you today. We're in a, we're in a unique time, maybe one of the most unique times in, 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 well, in the history of our lives. I'm talking about the, this pandemic. Lord, help us not to, 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 to as, as Isaiah says, fear what they fear, right? Help us not to fear what they fear. Help us, Lord, to have a deeper confidence in God, a deeper confidence in ourselves, So that we, Lord, might be different. We might charge the pandemic. We might charge the burning house. And with the love and power of Jesus. And show this world a different way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.